If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to open them to Luke chapter 15 today. My name is Tyler Holder. I'm our pastor of men's and college ministry here at Gospel City Church. And man, I just want to follow up. There will be more than uh, bacon to uh, draw and entice us to the men's. Although bacon is a necessary prerequisite, I do want to invite you in all seriousness um, to our men's breakfast. It's this next Saturday at 7 a.m. And here's why. Uh, our heart is for our men to be activated and live sent in their context and culture here in Michiana and in Gospel City. And what we're going to hear this upcoming Saturday is we're going to hear about how we can serve God's mission. We're actually going to hear from our team in Puerto Rico. So if you're interested uh, about that, right after um, this service, head out to the Resource Center. Um, some of us really don't enjoy technology or filling out information. So we've made it easy for you. You can go to the Resource Center right after our service today and uh, sign up and register without having to put anything into a computer for our men's breakfast on Saturday. Hey, as you find your way to Luke 15, I'd love just to kind of get to know you a little bit more. Um, how many of you have ever lost something of immense value? Okay, so a few of us, a few of us, right? Um, so about two or three years ago, I, I came home after work and my wife met me at the door with these words. I've lost my wedding rings. Now here's what you need to know about those wedding rings. I worked all summer between my junior and senior year at college as a Kirk, a Kirk, that's not a word, a clerk of the county court of Cherokee County, Georgia to buy those wedding rings. Like I worked so hard for those rings. Fast forward eight, nine years and I come home and my wife meets me and just, I've lost them. I have no idea where they are. So that triggers the search, right? So we're looking in the kitchen, we're digging into the garbage disposal, it's not there. We're looking through the trash, it's not there. We're looking in the meatloaf, it's not there. We go to the bathroom, right? And, and we're digging through that and we go to the bedroom, we're digging through that and then she remembers. I, I remember the last place I saw my wedding rings. Great, babe. Where did you see them? They were in the bathroom. Okay. And Adelaide had them. Oh. There's no place you could lose a wedding ring in the bathroom. Like there's no drain you could put it down or anything like that, right? So we go back and we dig through the bathroom and we cleaned and turned over and dug everything up in our house for six months. We couldn't find them. And finally, about six months into this lost ring fiasco, I finally looked at my wife and said, okay, a ring pop's not enough anymore we should probably consider getting you a new wedding ring. And that's when it happened. My kids got in a fight. Now your kids probably never get in fights over meaningless things. My kids do. And they got into a fight on this particular day. Jax had a wallet and Adelaide wanted it. So I look at baby girl, I look at Jax, I say, we're gonna solve this. Jax, you get the wallet. My mother-in-law, well, just happened to be visiting us at the time. I said, Ma, can you go and grab Adelaide's princess purse? She's had it for about six months. And, and as my mother-in-law grabbed this purse, she, she shook it and she opened it and she looked. And the strangest thing was in this purse. She pulled out these rings that I had worked all summer, the junior, uh, between my junior and senior year in college, and these princesses, they weren't just hiding joy and excitement and satisfaction, they happened to be hiding all of these rings. Now, here's what you need to know about my daughter, she'd carry that purse everywhere, to Meyer, Fresh Time, church, the library, anywhere she went, that ring was in that purse, and that purse could have been lost at a moment's notice. Now, I'm going to put these in my pocket, because I don't want to lose them, because I've already done that once, right? 
There was immense joy in our home when we found these rings. They had been lost. We had counted them as lost. We had begun to prepare for moving on from the initial ring to whatever would be next. And the moment we opened that purse and saw my thieving, pretty, beautiful baby girl that had stolen them, we rejoiced. We were excited about what we found. And here in Luke 15, we're gonna enter into a series of three different parables. And what Jesus is gonna do here in Luke 15 is something very, very similar to what we did in my home when we found those rings. Jesus is going to show us what happens when what has been lost is found. And he's gonna show us the joy and the excitement and the energy and the elation that comes when what was once lost is returned to its proper place. So today we're gonna look at the first two parables in Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And today we're gonna see this simple principle that God enjoys when kingdom disciples seek and find those that are lost. Very simple. God enjoys when kingdom disciples seek and find those that are lost. Now, we've been in a series centered on Jesus' parables. And just to remind us what a parable is, a, a parable is Jesus using stories and pictures from everyday life to help us see his heart and his ways. Jesus using stories and pictures from everyday life to help us see his heart and his ways. So today, as we look at Luke 15, the first 10 verses, and we look at these two parables, the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, what we're gonna do today is ask three simple questions. Three simple questions that will help us see this kingdom principle at play. But before we ask any question, I'd love to pray for us. Father, we come to you acknowledging our inability our inability to redeem and ransom ourselves, our inability to understand your word apart from your spirit, our inability for any righteousness or anything. Father, for we know full well that apart from you, we can do nothing. So today I pray that you would open hearts and minds and ears, that you would awaken in us a greater desire, a greater need, a greater sense of the gospel, that we would see your word at work in and through us. Lord, it's in your name we pray, amen. Here in Luke 15, as the curtain raises, we're gonna see Jesus showing us the main characters of these parables over the next two weeks. And they're not new to us if we've been in the Gospel of Luke any stretch of time or in Scripture at all. We're gonna see that the two characters that he's addressing are the scribes and the Pharisees and the tax collectors and sinners. Now those names should be familiar to you because when we started our Kingdom Parable series about two weeks ago, what we saw is we saw Jesus going to a ruler of the synagogue's home, a Pharisee's home, and he and all his friends just happened to be there. And they had invited Jesus over and Jesus invades their space, invades their home, knowing full well that their hearts were nowhere near him. Their hearts only wanted to catch him and bring charges against him and really send him and condemn him to his death. But Jesus, knowing their lostness, invades their space in Luke 14, verses one through 24. And what we saw when we looked at 
that chapter was is that these scribes and these Pharisees, they lacked humility and they made excuses as to why they weren't obedient to what God had commanded. We've seen these scribes and Pharisees before and they have no desire to be with or near Jesus. Likewise, we don't just see the scribes and the Pharisees in Luke 14, we also see this crowd that swells around Jesus starting in verse 25 through 35 in Luke 14. And that crowd is synonymous with what we see in Luke 15 as the tax collectors and the sinners, those outside of this religious orthodoxy, those outside of the cultural and moral elite. And this crowd in Luke 14, when they swell around Jesus, as is often the case, Jesus takes a step back and he looks at the crowd and he declares to them the cost of following him. And if you are to follow me, no, it will cost you everything. Because he knows. He knows the crowd is searching. The crowd's searching because they're lost. And he invades their space. He invades their space knowing that he is the answer to what they're looking for. So here in Luke 15, starting in verses one and two, with that understanding, see what the setting is. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So here we see two types of people with the same heart condition. Two types of people that are lost and searching. But notice the response first of the tax collectors and sinners. They are drawing near to hear him. Literally, the idea behind hear him is this desire to draw near with an intent to listen. Now, you contrast that with the Pharisees and the scribes in Luke 15, 2, which says they grumbled at Jesus. Literally, an audible sound of disgust and disdain. The type of sound you would make if you just found out you failed your last exam in medical school and now after spending all of that money, you're gonna go bag groceries at Martin's for the rest of your life. That's the type of groaning sound that the Pharisees and the scribes are making. I would love to hear your best groan. Can you do that for me? Can, just real quick, I, I promise it, there's, gonna, just, there's gonna be a point. Give me a grumble. Can you give me a grumble? That was okay. There was an okay grumble. I don't feel like it had a lot of heart in it. In fact, this half of the room just didn't make a noise at all. Um, and that's okay, right? Maybe they didn't feel the weight of it. So we're gonna try it again, just as best as you can. Scribe and Pharisee type grumble. Give me the best grumble you got. You got something? Somebody just straight did something over here. And I don't know what that was, but I loved it. It sounded like a whoopee cushion, right? I loved it, right? right? We know the difference between a, a grumble and a listening with intent, don't we? Right, my, my wife can look at me in a conversation and in a moment's notice, she can know whether or not I'm listening or I'm grumbling in my heart. It, it's the weirdest thing. I don't even gotta make a noise to grumble, but she can look at me and say, Tyler, and, yeah, and she knows I'm listening. Or she'll say, Tyler, and then I get this weird glassy look in my face and she'll go, you're, you're not listening to me at all, are you? You're grumbling in your soul about what I'm saying. I'm like, how do you know? I haven't made a, haven't made a sound. The crazy thing is, is that tax collectors and sinners, they're drawing near to Jesus with a desire to hear him because they understand their position. They understand that there's no righteousness in and of themselves that they can offer. They understand that they're characterized by the sins they've committed. They understand that in order to be redeemed, no amount of work would equate to it. They understand that they should be drawing near to Jesus to hear him. Likewise, scribes and Pharisees. 
Scribes and Pharisees are trusting in their religiosity, their works to redeem them. Scribes and Pharisees view their moral superiority as need and necessary for salvation. The scribes and the Pharisees grumbled at Jesus when they heard him speak. And the truth of the matter is, is that drawing near to Jesus with an intent to listen and grumbling at what Jesus says didn't stop in the first century. So the first question that I want us to ask ourselves today as we look at Luke 15 is simply this. When we look at these main characters, who are you? Who are, is your heart like the heart of the scribes and the Pharisees, grumbling and chiding at what Jesus is asking? Or is your heart like the heart of the tax collectors and sinners, drawing near with an intent to hear? Because the truth of the matter is this, is that both of them had the same need. Both of them were lost and needed to be found. But both would hear what Jesus is about to say very, very differently. The tax collectors and the sinners are intent on listening and having what Jesus says transform their lives. The scribes and Pharisees were intent on plugging their ears and grumbling at him. Who are you today? Where's your heart? Do you draw near to Jesus and desire to hear what he says? Draw near to him and desire to obey his word. Draw near to him knowing that he's the only one that can find you because you're lost. We all are. And we've all either been found by Jesus or are still lost. Or is your heart more like the scribes and the Pharisees? really not desiring to hear or obey God's word at all, really just grumbling at what he has to say. Where our heart is will determine how we hear. Notice what Jesus does here in Luke 15. He launches from this setting into his parable and the next question that I want us to ask is simply this, do I share in heaven's joy? Notice what he says in verse three. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? So immediately Jesus, identifying his hearers, tax collectors, sinners, scribes, and Pharisees, launches into this parable and puts them in the parable. He says, what man of you, what woman of you, if you had a hundred sheep and lost one, would not leave the 99 in the open country and go and find the one? Now, sometimes when I read scripture, I get a little imaginative. Um, this is really no different for me. I, I struggle sometimes even to pay attention and focus, so I'm sorry if I seem really just pew, just kind of off every once in a while. But when I'm reading Luke 15, I'm putting myself in the position of a shepherd. I'm putting myself in the position of a shepherd that's smelly and dirty and dusty and grimy and gross, that's sweaty and has had a, a full day walking through these desolate places with these stupid sheep. And I get to the end of my day and I want nothing more than to kick my feet up and relax and I begin my obligatory count. 95, 96, 97, 98, 99. They all look alike. Let me count again. 97, 98, 99, and then it clicks. I've lost one. And notice what the shepherd does in Luke 15. 
The moment he identifies the sheep that is lost, he leaves to go find it. Do you know why? Because he recognizes that what has been lost is of extreme worth, is of extreme value. That what has been lost deserves to be found. In fact, in Luke 15, when he says he leaves the 99 in the open country, it's literally an uninhabited, uncultivated place. Nobody's gonna go vacation in the open country. It's gross. And the shepherd is willing to leave the 99 to pursue the one because of the value that the one has. Did you know that all of us, when we're born, we're born as lost sheep? Each and every one of us. As a man or a woman, we're created in the, after the image of God, different and distinct from all of his other creation. And sin breaks our world. Sin breaks our relationship with God. That's why in the Gospel of John, we see Jesus being called the Good Shepherd because he comes to his lost sheep. Just as the shepherd here in this parable leaves the 99 to pursue the one, so too does Jesus leave heaven to pursue us. And the truth of the matter is, is that as he left heaven to pursue us, he was born of a virgin, he lived a perfect sinless life. While you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we were ever on the scene, the penalty for our sin is being paid for. We are being pursued relentlessly by a shepherd that cares for us because he sees our worth and our value because we're created in his image. But the story doesn't stop there. He lives this perfect life. He dies a death on the cross and he's buried in a tomb. And if the story ends there, then we have no hope of being found. Praise Jesus, the gospel doesn't end there. The story continues that three days later he is resurrected and is raised to life to ascend and sit at the right hand of God where he's still commanding search and rescue missions for his lost sheep. But here's what you need to hear. God pursues us because we have value. And this morning some of you may be sitting here thinking, man, I've never had anybody give me a second look. Never anybody tell me I'm worth really much of anything. Tyler, if you only knew my thoughts or my actions or my deeds, if you only saw the deep recesses of my heart, you would never say I'm worth pursuit. But here's the truth, is we have unquestionable value to God, not because of the things we've done, our family, origin, or anything like that. We are unquestionably worth something to the God of the universe because he created us in his image and he sent his son on a rescue mission for you. This shepherd leaves the 99 to pursue the one. He leaves the majority to pursue the minority because he sees the worth and value that the one has. Notice what he says. Verse five, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. When he finds the sheep, he's not angry, he's not upset. If it was me, and I'm that really tired, gross, grimy, dusty, dirty, smelly shepherd, and I've lost one, and it's his fault because he's walking away from me, man, I am not gonna be super gracious. I don't know if you're like me. Maybe you have a better heart than I do. I don't know. 
right? I'm going to do the toilet or the, uh, not the toilet paper roll because that really wouldn't work well on a sheep. I'm going to do the newspaper roll that you sometimes do on your dog, you know? You roll it up and swat it against your hand to make them know that you're serious. Am I the only one? Okay, I'm the only one. Praise the Lord, right? I- I'm going to look at this sheep and I'm going to be upset. Man, I was about to go to sleep and you had to wander off. That's not what the shepherd does. You see what he does. He's gracious. He finds it. He lays it literally with grace and gentleness on his shoulders. And he doesn't do it begrudgingly. He does it rejoicing. And we have to see that a sheep, 55, 65 pounds, 75 pounds, the average man in the first century is between 145 and 165 pounds. So this man, this shepherd, is picking up this lost sheep, putting it over his shoulders with care and walking an undetermined amount of distance back to restore it to its rightful place. I can barely carry the groceries in without panting. And this shepherd carries this sheep with care and grace because he sees the value and worth. Notice what happens. He invites his friends and his neighbors over. There's not a lot of parties going on in the first century in a desolate place. So he invites them all over and he has a party because what has been lost is found. Notice what happens in verse seven. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There is a party happening in heaven and God's the initiator. And that party happens and one sinner repents, literally turns around, turns away from, their mind is transformed, their heart is renewed through faith and belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He puts before us the necessary prerequisite of repentance before we can partake and share in heaven's joy. He doesn't just stop with the story of a shepherd though, he goes on. In verse eight, he goes on to tell us the second parable. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the whole house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I found the coin that was lost. She has the same response that the shepherd does. But notice that she is seeking diligently, literally searching to find that which is lost. She's doing it at great cost. She's lighting a lamp in the middle of the night in a windowless home, which, what, which is where she would have been. To light a lamp and search for something takes time, it takes effort, it takes resource, it takes money, but she doesn't just look under the rug and call it good. She sweeps the whole house and search for this one that's lost. Again, because she knows the worth. She knows the pursuit is worth it. Verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So it's not just God that is enjoying the party in heaven. It's the angels that are celebrating. There's immense joy when a sinner repents. There's immense joy when what is lost is restored to its rightful place. As I'm reading through Luke 15, I'm, I'm asking myself a, a few questions as I read this parable. One is, do, do I share in the joy that comes to heaven when a sinner repents? Am I as excited about one of you or my children or my family coming to know Jesus? Am I as excited about that as they are in heaven? Do I have that same type of joy or do I just kind of shrug it off and move on with my life? The second question I ask as I look at this parable 
is this, is, is why isn't the shepherd satisfied with his 99 sheep? And why isn't the woman satisfied with her nine coins? Don't they see what they already have? And here in these parables, we're likening the shepherd and the woman to God. Why isn't God satisfied with the majority, the 99 or the nine? Why does he have to go after this one that wanders? I don't know if you're asking that question. I'm asking that question. And I find my answer all throughout scripture. The reason why God does that is because he desires that none should perish but all would have everlasting life. He's long suffering and he's enduring for you and I, drawing us just as Jesus walks into the Pharisees' home to have lunch, going into their place to show them and draw them and find them just as he lays out to the crowds the necessary prerequisites to follow him invading their space, so too does he do that for us. The reason why he's not satisfied with the 99, he's not satisfied with the nine is because you have value, you have worth, you're created in God's image. And if you're lost, he's relentlessly and recklessly pursuing you. Because Jesus understands that if that one lost sheep or that one lost coin stays lost, then their eternity is separated from him in hell. According to the book of Ezekiel, God takes no pleasure when his creation perishes in hell. That's why he cares about the one. That's why he's not just satisfied with the 99 or the nine. That's why he left heaven to come after you. The second question, third question really that I'm asking as I look at Luke 15 is, why is there such joy? Why is there such rejoicing? Do you guys remember Home Alone? Like the first one, the, the good one? Do you remember that movie, right? You can't watch it till December, so don't. Um, you can read the book at Barnes & Noble if you'd like. It's illustrated, it's super nice. Kevin McAllister looks great. In Home Alone, this interesting thing happens, right? Kevin McAllister, a.k.a. Macaulay Culkin, he's, he's there and he's interacting with his family and he does something foolish and gets sent up to the attic and his cousin wets the bed and then he wakes up the next day and they're all gone, right? You remember this? And as he kind of goes about his day, at first it's fun, at first it's exciting, a couple of the iconic moments, he shaves and puts the aftershave on and screams, you remember that? I did that as a 10-year-old, right? I borrowed my dad's razor, I have a hairless face at 10, and I shaved, and, and it really does burn, right? It, it does, tested and approved, right? And then he decorates the home for Christmas, and then, you know, the burglars come and all that, and there's this moment when he's with his really weird, wonky neighbor at the church, and he says a prayer, what Kevin's feeling in that moment is the, the immense weight of lostness. He's asking for his family to come back. Now Marv and Harry get arrested and then there's a knock at his door the next day and in bursts Mom McAllister. Do you remember the scene? There's such joy and such excitement. And then after Mom McAllister comes Buzz, like the arch enemy of Kevin, even Buzz is excited. Because what was lost has been restored. Now, Home Alone's not a gospel-centered movie at all. But it just gives us a picture of the joy that happens when what is lost is returned to its rightful place. Why is there such joy over one sheep, one coin being found? Because your rightful place as a man or a woman created in God's image is in relationship with him. And the gospel is the only thing that restores that relationship. That's why there's such joy. 
Because when the gospel message is proclaimed and our hearts and our minds are broken under the power and weight of our sin and we respond in faith to Jesus, again, having ears desiring to hear, intent on following him, and there's a celebration because what was lost is found, what should have been with God forever but was broken and marred by sin has now been reconnected to him through faith in Jesus. The fourth and final question I ask when I look at Luke 15 is simply this, am I seeking what is lost? So I've seen the joy, I've seen why God pursues that which is lost. I've seen the need and I feel the burden that if, if the shepherd will leave the 99 to come after the one, if the woman will light a lamp and diligently search her house in the middle of the night for that one coin and leave the nine, I see the need. There's such pressing urgency. God rejoices when that which is lost is found. And then we come to this last question and it makes it a little personal for us. Am I seeking the lost? Remember, as kingdom disciples, God enjoys when we, as his followers, seek and find that which is lost. Do I seek what is lost? Based out of our parable today, I see three primary ways that you and I can seek and find the lost. The first is simply this, with urgency. Did you notice that the shepherd didn't get distracted by the froyo stand on the side of the road in the desert? As he's looking, it wasn't really in the text, but in my mind, again, I imagine it is, right? And the woman doesn't get distracted by all the other things she finds in her house when she cleans it, right? There's an urgency that's compelling them. I will allow nothing to distract me. I'm leaving the 99 and going after the one. I'm leaving the nine and going after the one. There's a necessary urgency because I've identified that there is something that needs pursuit, You and I, you and I were the recipients of someone's urgent plea if we've responded in faith to the gospel. Just know that. Like if you're a kingdom disciple, if you're a follower of Jesus, the reason why you are most likely is because someone felt the urgent need to proclaim the gospel message to you and sought out you while you were lost and showed you the beauty of Jesus in the gospel. There's an urgency. As we think about urgency, one of the things that comes to my mind is a quote by a man named Charles Spurgeon who was a pastor in London back in the 1800s and he simply said this, he said, lost, 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 better a whole world on fire than a soul lost. Better every star quenched in the skies a wreck than a single soul to be lost. He desires for that which is lost to be found. And the truth of the matter is, if you look around, God's best plan for finding the lostness around you is you. If you're a kingdom disciple, you are God's best plan to bring the, the message of redemption to those around you. I'm not God's best plan to save your neighbors. You are. And we gotta sense and feel the urgency, not only the urgency, but we have to feel the caring nature of proclaiming the gospel. We seek and find the lost with care. Again, the shepherd scoops it up, puts it on his back. There is great care. And the reason why there's great care as we pursue that which is lost is because all of us are affected by the sin that we were born into. 
and to walk with somebody to the muck and the mire of being a tax collector or a sinner or a Pharisee and a scribe to help them see now in a new life with Jesus what that means and what that looks like takes us coming alongside them and walking with them, not just proclaiming the gospel urgently, not just offering them and seeking repentance and, and a relationship with Jesus, but I mean coming alongside them once they have made that decision and walking with them towards holiness, towards Jesus. Our desire is not to have converts, our desire is to have disciples. And disciple making takes care. Disciple making takes longevity and coming alongside somebody and helping them walk through their life with Jesus. It takes care. The last thing as we seek and find the lost is simply this. We do it with clarity. We do it with clarity. The beauty of the gospel is that it's a clear message. And some of us this morning, this afternoon, if I, if I were to ask you, man, what's the gospel? You may struggle with telling me what that is. And here's my fear is that we would feel the sense of urgency. We would walk with somebody in care, but we would proclaim a gospel to them that is unclear, a gospel that is not truly a gospel that will save. We must recognize that the gospel is the message of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. We must see that the gospel declares that God is holy and man is sinful, broken in our relationship with him. And since God is holy and man is sinful, we need a bridge, we need a redeemer, and that is Christ. Christ is our redeemer. And the gospel puts before each and every one of us a decision. The decision is either this, do I repent and believe, or do I reject and perish? So do we have clarity in the gospel we're proclaiming? Are we proclaiming the gospel? Again, you are God's best plan for your neighborhood, for your family, for your coworkers, for your friends, for your teachers, for that random person at Meyer that asks you if that's where the shredded cheese is. That is you, you are God's best plan. But we must proclaim the gospel with urgency, with care, and with clarity. Because remember, kingdom disciples, that God enjoys when you and I, if we're followers of Jesus, seek and find those that are lost. He gets great joy out of that. So here's our final question. Are you seeking that which is lost? Or put in another frame, have you ever been found? Again, this morning, I, I, I don't wanna just rush past have you ever been found by the beauty of the gospel? Have you ever repented of your sins and placed your faith and trust in Christ alone? Do you see that you are the one that he is recklessly pursuing? He is going after, he's left the 99 to find you. He's inviting you to respond. So here in a moment as we transition from worshiping Christ through his word to worshiping Christ through song yet again, I wanna invite you to stand with me as we pray and just focus our hearts on the truth that God relentlessly pursues you because you're of worth and value. And as kingdom disciples, we should be activated to live sent and pursue others with that same urgency, care, and clarity. Father, thank you for your word.
Lord, thank you that you have recklessly pursued us. And that, Father, as kingdom disciples, we can rest in you. Jesus, draw hearts to you today.